We're going to be in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be looking at the church of Laodicea, and I'm going to bring out some things, and so will Jimmy, that I think has been lost in interpretation because of the zeal of many preachers and the zeal of the day. I think the most important thing in anyone's life is to make sure they are genuine, bona fide, born again, children of God. Yes. You need to make sure that they are children of God. No doubt about it, we are living in the last moments. No doubt about it. The Lord could come at any moment. And it's not by accident that God gave seven churches of Asia Minor, which were literally churches. They were real churches in their day. And they began, they can, many of the things that are said of these seven churches can be even carried over to our day. Look at somewhat dispensation when the church was at different periods of the church. But you say, where are we in the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and chapter 2 and 3? Where are we? And I believe we are right there between the church of Philadelphia and Laodicea. We'll be looking at some of the things that between Revelation chapter 1, the introduction of Jesus, and chapter 2 and 3, the church age, and then chapter 4 and 5, the church in heaven, chapter 6, the great tribulation flowing and going into the seals and trumpets and vile judgments. And uh, I, I, there's no other way to say it than simply this. Jesus Christ could come right now while I'm talking. Uh, the imminent return of Jesus Christ could happen any moment. Yes. I believe that, don't you? Yes. And I won't be disappointed. You be disappointed? No, we'll not be, be disappointed. If got, let's read verse 14, the church of Laodicea, uh, beginning, we're going to read down to verse 22. It says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, and thou that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as also I overcame, and I am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so we're looking at the church of Laodicea. We're, we're going to point out some things, Jimmy and I, tonight. We are going to have an open discussion, so if you have questions, we'll try to answer them, comments at, toward the end of the 
service tonight. Jimmy, where, where do you want to take off with this? Well, I just want to say that, that, that all of these seven churches, that uh, you could probably find traits, characteristics of the people in those churches in any church in any town right now, that, uh, that you will recognize yourself or people you know as you read through chapter 2 and 3. Uh, the church at Ephesus, the church at uh, at uh, <clears throat> at Smyrna, the church at Pergamos, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Laodicea, and and I have always kind of believed that that these also represent different ages of the church, just like the Ephesus representative the primitive church. Uh, uh, Smyrna represented the, the persecuted church by the Romans, and uh, uh, maybe the Sardis church represented the Reformation church under Martin, Martin Luther. These are eras where, where those things were predominant during that time. But and the, when we say the Philadelphia era, a lot of people talk about how it was a, it was a time when, when Western Europe and uh, then the United States uh, spent millions, and in today's money, probably trillions of dollars, uh, sending missionaries to evangelize the entire known world. And they did this. Uh, I'm telling you that men, armed in, a, in about 175 years, men armed with nothing but a shotgun and a King James Bible and a piano playing wife evangelized the known world. Yeah. And he says, you got a little strength? I'm going to open doors and nobody can shut them. I'm going to shut doors and nobody can open them. And you're going to, you're, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the mercy that I gave to my servant David. And you're going, to, you're going to be blessed. That church in one form or another still exists today. But it's not the predominant church of the age, right. I would say. That the predominant church of this age we're in, I believe we've entered into the Laodicean age, and that is the age of the cold church. And I believe what we have, and I, I don't believe it's an accident that the Lord dictated the letters in this order. Uh, I believe, just like I believe there was an actual church in the city of Philadelphia in yep. Asia Minor and an actual church in the city of Laodicea in Asia right. Minor, I believe that that both of these churches are existing today. And what terrifies me, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get on with this and maybe explain a little more, but what scares me is that they're existing at the same time. And what we have is, uh, is churches filled with unregenerated, unrepentant, lost sinners, and True. churches filled with, with all their flaws and warts and, uh, and shortcomings, that are saved sinners instead of lost sinners. I believe we got two sets of people, and they could be described by the Philadelphian church and by the Laodicean church, and they're everywhere. They Just are like everywhere. the zombies. <laughs> All right. I, I want to mention some things tonight as we get rolling in this because uh, being Pentecostal, I understand that preachers can take this lukewarm and take it to the place of works. And uh, we do not want to go into that area of works for salvation. I mean, what constitutes you lukewarm? Uh, are you lukewarm because you don't go to church on Sunday night? Are you lukewarm because you don't pay tithe? Are you lukewarm because you don't do this or don't do that? No, Laodicea was lukewarm because they were pretending to know God and they didn't. 
And they didn't need God. They said they didn't need God. They were pretending that they had God, but they didn't have God. They were, they were, they were not cold. They were not atheists. They were not out of the circle. They were warm. They got into their little churchy atmosphere, but they were not hot for Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is saying, well, because you're neither cold, we're not talking about coffee here, cold or hot, because you're neither, you're neither cold, meaning you're not out there in the world. Listen, God can do something with you if you know you're a nobody, but he can do nothing with you as long as you think you're somebody. And that's the bottom line. And so these church leaders here thought they were somebody. And they thought they were somebody by what they possessed. Now let me start real quick, and Jimmy's going to chime in on this. But (laughs) the evangelistic, the evangelistic, um, evangelical church uh, in this last era has got a bad rap. The truth is the evangelical church is a wonderful church if it's based doctrinally and if it's looking to Christ, and if its main primary goal is to reach people for Christ and promote Jesus Christ as Lord. The evangelical movement began out of Martin Luther. And I'm sure you've heard the statement, uh, um, first it begins with a man, then it begins with a movement, and then it ends up a monument. And that's what happened with the Presbyterians. It began with a man, uh, Billy Sunday, a movement, great move of God. And then it ended up a monument, just a building by the side of the road. And so um, that is in every area. But let me say the church of Sardis was, Jesus Christ said it was dead in this third chapter, uh, verse 1. He said, you, you talk to them. He said, you have a name, you live, but you're dead. And so there was a time frame where the church had fallen dead, and Martin Luther come along and said, no, 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 there's a reformation that took place, evangelical movement took place, there was a great sweeping across the land, and let let me share this real quickly, Sardis, the word Sardis is a powerful term. Uh, the truth is, Sardis is, a, is a, uh, a, a movement of God. It, it's, it's saved the, uh, the remnant. It's talking about Sardis means prince of joy, those escaping. And so what happens is, years ago, the church escaped from their bondage, and there was an acceleration of revival. And that's why you've got all these churches that we know today, denominations and so forth, and the evangelical movement of God. The letter to Laodicea was to deal with the false doctrine and the tearing down of the biblical truths. And the church of Laodicea, when when Paul sent a letter in Colossians, he said, read this letter, Uh, Laodicea had reached a place where they were not well, I don't think, and you may disagree, but I, I think anyone in that church of Laodicea could have been saved. I believe anyone could have got up and answered the door. But I think Jesus being on the outside is a pretty good indication nobody was saved in that church. Let me in. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I think that invitation is still going today. What do you think? I think it's absolutely true. Uh, the, 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 you have the Sardis movement, which was a, which is a, you have the Re Reformation churches that left the mother church. And my complaint has always been they didn't go far enough. And, but, but what God says to Sardis, this dead church, that he doesn't say to Laodicea, he says, thou hast yet a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments. And so there were saved people in that church. And that's the way it's been for most of our lives, most of my life that I can remember is when I've been in churches, wherever I've been, I've just kind of felt like there were saved people there and some lost people there. That's why like your pastor does, I believe we're not doing our job if we don't give an invitation at every meeting <laughs> because you, you don't know. The only person who knows whether you're saved or not is you and Jesus. So you don't know. The Philadelphia movement, the great evangelism movement and taking the whole gospel to the whole world as, as, a, as a brother... Uh, McGee would say is that uh, it, it came out of the Sardis out of, when Sardis was all but dead around dead. 1750. You got all these missionary societies that came up in England and in Scotland and in the United States, and they sent missionaries all over the world. It was a it was a big giant boom, and millions upon tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people were saved. Uh, and so, and, but, but what had happened is to those churches that they left, and we've seen those mainline churches decay and die during the, the 20th century on into this century, your, your old line uh, uh, state churches that, that became out of, the re, uh, out of the Reformation. You saw them declining in membership. And, and James talks about the monument. They all turn into denominations. I have a church of God in Christ, friend. He's a, he's a black brother. He's a bishop in their organization. I don't know what all that means, but he's kind of a higher up of some kind. But he says, he says, Brother Harris, do you know what a denomination is? And I said, uh, I said uh, he said, well, it's like a cart. And I said, well, a cart, what are you talking about? He says, ah, it's just a bunch of boards and a couple of big wheels. That's what a denomination is. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. And that's the monument. You know, you got, you know, you're, you're banking everything you got on something your forefathers did 100 years ago or 60 years ago. And I've said it here at this table I don't remember on what discussion, is that I fear that our churches are running on the fumes of the Jesus Revolution over 50 years ago. Yeah, the Jesus Movement. The Jesus right. Movement. Yeah, the 70s. And we're still kind of running on, on the gas tank on the fumes. But let me say this about the evangelical church, because there are people out there say, ah, they're all liberal. That's not true. The, the truth is there are some on-fire churches today. And biblical. And, and biblical. You can't be on fire and not be biblical. You might be blow, burning up and, 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 and think you're on fire. You're going to be consumed and burnt. But if you're really on fire, it's about souls. It's about promoting Christ. It's about promoting him and not the preacher's personality. As I mentioned this morning, uh, I don't, you shouldn't follow a man for his personality. And there's churches that follow men for their personality. It's not about personality. It's about, well, when I get up and preach, I want people to see the personality of Jesus, the personality of God's Word, the personality of the Holy Spirit. And so evangelical churches, I believe there can be a massive revival. 
And I believe there can, you know, it says the church of Philadelphia had a little strength. Well, I think he's referring to the church as a whole around the planet. The true born-again Christians have a little strength. He's not saying there isn't hot spots around where some of them churches have a lot of strength. I think there are some churches out there that have a lot of strength because I think there's some churches out there like the church of Ephesus. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, we're striving to do that as well. But uh, we don't want to be, for instance, Smyrna. I think there's some churches overseas in other countries under the heavy sword and knife of, of ISIS and Hamas and that. I believe there's a Smyrna church there. And they're suffering. They're not rich. They're suffering. They're dying. Meaning they're being killed. So I think you can follow, uh, like the church of Thyatira. Uh, you can see where Catholicism is still very strong. Um, but there definitely was a revival that God sent. It was a massive revival. And out of that came two streams. One, Philadelphia, and one, Laodicea. I want to be part of the Church of Philadelphia, at least uh, the doctrinal, and I don't want to be part of the Church of Laodicea. Right. Because I do believe that the Laodiceans did not have one born-again believer in it. Why else was Jesus on the outside? Right. Now, anyone could have responded. Anyone could come to Christ. But what we get into is, in the Pentecostal movement, what we get into is we get into a split rapture. You say, what is a split rapture? Well, when the catching away of the church takes place, if you're not on fire, I mean, if you're not praying enough, if you're not serving God enough, if you're not reading your Bible enough, you'll be left behind. How much well, first is of enough? all, that's the doctrine of works. How much is enough, James? Yeah, how much is enough? How spiritual? How spiritual do we have to be to be caught up in the clouds? Spiritual enough to be born again, a true child yeah. of God. You may be struggling and you may be one of the worst Christians on this planet. But if you are a Christian, there's not going to be a half a bride raptured into the presence of God. We're all going home together. Whether we feel that we've arrived or not arrived, if we're born again, we're going home together. And if we're not together, we're not of each other. Right. And the church of Laodicea, remember the words, because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I think at the rapture, the Laodicea is going to be spewed out of his mouth. And because the Laodicean church makes Jesus sick, and the true church is going to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. I think a perfect picture of the lukewarm being spewed out is a picture of those who missed the rapture of the church, missed the catching away because they thought, they had a form of godliness, but not denied the power thereof. They went through the ritual, but they didn't have the person of Christ throbbing in their life. Now, James didn't say it like this, but it's, uh, you know, can you picture, like, there's an argument always going on, and I always find myself in a minority, and James usually is too, because... <laughs> Because all the higher-ups usually tell us that this is not the right thing, but this is the right thing. Can you imagine if there are Christians in this church at Laodicea, born-again Christians, how could you justify Jesus spewing them out of his mouth when he said that, 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 that if any man who cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out? 
Well, if he ain't going to cast him out, he ain't going to spit him out either. Right. These are not Christians that he's spewing out. They're not like almost. They're not like Christians who aren't good enough, who are going to get left behind because they're not good enough to go to heaven. That's a dangerous thing that's going on. James mentioned it, and it's not just in Pentecostal churches. It's everywhere. Uh, you know, how could you be sure if you're ready? If you got a checklist, do you have to come up to somebody else's standard? You know, how do you, how do you know when it, when you've done enough? How do you know when you've given enough? How do you know when you've gone to church enough? How do you know when you've prayed enough? There's no way to know. There's no there's no way to know, and so it just keeps you confused all the time. And God is not the author of confusion. And and a church also needs to be proclaiming the word. And I wrote this down, just a little short, quick note. Churches are, the true church, the church that knows Christ, are excited about Jesus. They're vocal about Jesus. And these churches are in the mouth of Jesus Christ pro proclaiming the word. But those that are not in the mouth of Jesus Christ, or they think they are, bad taste in Jesus' mouth, no more. Jesus will say, no more. You're done. He'll spit them out of his mouth. And so, you know, it's important that we understand the, the, that we're literally, generally, we're genu genuine Christians. And um, so I, I want to get into a little bit about Laodicea because it'll mean more to us as we look at it. Uh, the description, what helps me a lot and tells me that the church of Laodicea was not in there. Because verse 14 says, Under the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen. Amen. Jesus, another name for Jesus is Amen. Yeah. And when you have heard, uh, reading the scriptures, you, you remember when Jesus would start saying something, he'd say, Verily, verily, verily or truly, truly. And then when he closed it, he'd say, Amen. Well, the verily, verily means a truth is established, but Jesus seals that truth because he is the amen. And so what he's talking about is sealing the truth that he is the creation, that he is the creator. He's not creation. He's the creator, that he's the God of earth. And he's speaking to the land of sea about these in this turn. He said, I'm faithful. I'm true witness. Don't put... You know, don't deny what I'm saying. The beginning of the creation of God. I think what happened was after World War II, America began to lose its honor toward God. Colleges began to rise up. Schooling began to rise up. And the industry began to move in. And there's colleges begin to promote liberalism. Begin to say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a, you know, he was a, powerful um, uh, illustration for us. And so Jesus is telling the church of Laodicea, because I think this is what the church of Laodicea fell into. They fell into, well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a great teacher. He's a great leader, but we don't need him because we're doing pretty good work ourselves. you know. Uh, Jesus did some good work, but we're doing we're better doing than him. Fine, yeah. You know, that was the attitude. We don't need Jesus Christ. And that can be taken into the Unity Church, all kinds of churches out there. They don't need Jesus Christ. They just make him a brother of Lucifer or, or make him a, a, an angel. Uh, they'll say that Jesus was created he was not created. He created he is everything. The creator. 
Paul sent a letter to Colossae, and in Colossae he said, if you'll notice in Colossians chapter 1, he said he was the creator of all things. Colossae chapter 1, verse um, 15 and 16, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, Visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And it goes on to say, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, in verse 17 of that chapter 1 of Colossians. So Paul deals with Jesus is deity. He's God. And so Paul didn't found Laodicea. We don't know who started Laodicea. Maybe some rich men got together, some rich, rich merchants. We don't know. They heard of the great works of Jesus, so we're going to follow suit. And we, no one really knows who founded the Laodicea. Paul didn't, because Paul said himself he hadn't been there. And he sent a letter to correct him. He said, well, what does the letter say? Don't know. It, it didn't survive. It didn't it's survive. The, canon. the letter didn't survive. But he sent the letter and told them, I want you to read this letter to Laodicea, verse 16 of the last chapter uh, 4 of Colossians. Here's what it says. Uh, verse uh, uh, 16 says, And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the entire epistle from Laodicea. So he said, You set Laodicea down, and you read to them Colossians, and you read to them the letter I wrote. Right. And I believe Paul was trying to correct the liberalism and the denial of who Jesus Christ is. And we have the same problem in churches today. And there was a slave named Onesimus that, was, uh, that, that had run away from his master, Philemon. There's a short letter to Philemon. Now, this letter was written at the same time as the Coloss letter to Colossae. And he sent Onesimus... And uh, a couple of other people back, Epaphras was one of their pastors, one of their elders. And, uh, and he sends them back there, and he salutes everybody. And he knows that there's a church there, and he knows that there's a church in the house of Nymphus there in Colossae. And he also knows that his friend Philemon has a church, a little book right after Titus you can read. It's just a few verses long. And... Uh, and we also know the name of the pastor at the church at Colossae was Archippus. He says, he says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. He was convinced that Archippus was called because of the report he got from Onesimus and, uh, and uh, Epaphras, the guys that were from Colossae. So Paul had never been there himself. But believers had come from there, and he strengthened those believers, and he's sending them back with letters to strengthen the people there, but he's never been there himself. And, and you look at kind of the history of, of, uh, of uh, the history of Laodicea. Um, remember, Jesus Christ said, I'm the amen. So the very, very the truth, and then Jesus seals the truth. And so basically he's telling them, uh, Jesus is telling the church of Laodicea, I'm not, I wasn't created by God. I am God. 
I am the creator of all things. Everything that has ever made and everything that holds together is held together by Jesus Christ, for he is eternal, pre-existing God. And Colossae didn't believe that, or Colossae did believe that, and Paul was trying to strengthen that belief and at the same time correct the church of Laodicea. Where that letter went, I don't know. I guess politicians got a hold of it. It's disappeared. Uh, maybe it's been burned. Or <laughs> maybe it's been bleached or something. Well, I don't know. But there was anyway. another another verse that uh, that he's uh, telling them that uh, that that there's already these man-made rituals and rituals of men and and people who have gotten into the church. And these aren't even these aren't even the Judaizers that were coming around chasing after Paul and trying to get everybody to get circumcised and follow the Mosaic law. These were from, from some other walk. And we find that Paul is, is, is warning the Colossians in chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 18. Uh, he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He says, You got people trying to teach you to worship angels, and they don't even know what an angel is. Right. You need to not listen to them, they're crazy. You know, I'm, I'm sending you some good men with some good word and a couple of good letters, and y'all need to dig in and grab onto the word of God. And he says, and they're not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. He says, they're worshiping ghosts. They're worshiping angels. They're going through all kinds of rituals, and they don't know who their head is, the Lord Jesus. They're not holding on to Jesus Christ who in the previous chapter he described as the Godhead, complete and full, and, and all fullness. And, and so he's telling them, hey, these people are just trying to, to, to steal you away. So he says, if you be dead with Christ, in verse 20, from the rudiments of the world, then why, as though living in the world, are you subject to these ordinances? Why do you worry about it? touch not, taste not, handle not? Uh, you know, people telling them what to eat, what to drink, what to look at, what to think, what to touch. They're putting all those traditions that James preached about a couple of weeks ago, and they're throwing all these traditions in front of them. But even those traditions, they don't have any grounding in Judaism or in, in Christianity. It's just some stuff that the people at the church got impressed with and thought they ought to do. Right. And it was holding them captive. They were holding on to all these weirdo rituals and worshiping angels, which Paul says you don't know anything about. It says you need to hang on to the head. You need to hang on to Jesus. And you can't reach people that think they're all right. No. And, and, and the church of Laodicea, Verse 17, Jesus Christ said, Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. Now, I want to I just stop there for a minute and talk about Laodicea, the lukewarmness, comes from water that was brought down uh, to Laodicea from, uh, out of aqueducts, came from Hyopolis, hot spring waters came down, and because of the, the waters coming through the aqueducts, when it got there, it was, it was pukey, lukewarm, and uh, it wasn't drinkable. But the problem, one of the problems was, as a result of that, they, 
they found and discovered certain minerals that they could cause medicine to be made. In fact, doctors use eye medicine today that was discovered in Laodicea. Uh, it's, it's called eye drops that has a certain solution of boric acid. It came from that vicinity. And so the church of Laodicea, they, they had several things going for them. They had a big medical center. They had an eye care place. They had uh, um, medicine school. They had, they had goats that produced uh, and sheep that produced uh, glossy black uh, uh, wool that was dark and black and glossy. And so they were, they were extremely rich. They had a lot of money. And I want to say something right now. God is not against you having money. Abraham had lots of it. David had lots of it. God is not against you having wealth. Listen to me. The Laodiceans had wealth without Jesus Christ. We need to understand this too. Our wealth, our pleasures, our good health will make us not feel as great a need for God. If we have good health, pleasure, wealth, it will deceive us into not having a deep feel, a need for the need of God. It should make us have a great gratitude to God and a great thankfulness for God. But these Laodiceans, they were, they were, holding, they were holding themselves up. In 60 A.D., and that was a Roman providence, in 60 A.D., a gigantic earthquake destroyed the city of Laodicea. The government sent stimulus money. They're going to rebuild Laodicea. Government money, Rome. Laodicea sent the money back. No, thank you. We'll rebuild our city ourselves. And they sent the money back. They refused any help. And that was the beginning of great pride, thinking that they could take care of their own problems. And so Jesus Christ tells them, you don't realize that you're blind. You know, they had the eye salve, but Jesus Christ said, you better get some from me. You're blind. And they had the beautiful, glossy, black wool coats and garments. And Jesus Christ says, you better get a garment from me. Uh, you don't realize it, but you're naked. And you're miserable, poor, blind, and, and you're without strength. You need me. And so Jesus Christ says, I counsel you to buy of me. You think you got a lot of money? Had a big bank, banking center in Laodicea. And said, you need some money? He said, you, I counsel you to buy gold from me tried in the fire. Well, where did that gold come from tried in the fire? From the cross of Calvary. From the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That refining gold that God brings into our life. And so Laodicea was deceived into thinking that they could take care of it themselves. God wasn't against their money. He was against their attitude that they didn't need Jesus Christ. They felt like they didn't need him. And Jesus says, you think that that borax is going to make your garments white? And he says, well, you know, Ain't what you really, really need is my blood to make your garments white. And these people in Laodicea, James, they remind me in the Proverbs, uh, in the first chapter of Proverbs, it talks about fools and, 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 and simple people. It says that, uh, it says in verse 28, he says, Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 
They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, shall they eat of the fruit of their own ways and be filled with their own devices. And here it is. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And here's the kicker for me. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Foolish people with a lot of money are like a warning light. It's like a red light. It's like a siren going off. They don't tell them what kind of damage they can do. These are the people in Laodicea. They were fools because they didn't have room in their heart for God. You know, it says it twice. The, the, fool has said it in, in, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, you know, if you study that, that, that there is, was put in there by the translators to make the sentence make sense, what the original language says there is, the fool has said in his heart, no God. I don't care if there is a God. I don't want one. I don't care. I don't care if he's real or not. No God. There's no room in my life for God. No matter what, no God. And those are the fools. And these people in Laodicea were fools. And it wasn't because they had money. It was because they were trusting in their ability to do what they needed to do without God. And they didn't have a right doctrine of who Christ was. And they were trying to, and we have that today. Churches out there call themselves churches. They might as well be a club. And let me say again, there are great churches out there on fire for God. Yes. Tremendous churches out there that are wealthy, that have money. Nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is they had rejected Christ and they had started building their life on their material substance and building their life on their thoughts and their doctrines. And Jesus came along and said, look, it's not going to work. You're not going with me. You're going to be spewed out of my mouth. And no longer am I going to pray for you. No longer am I going to talk to you. No longer am I going to comfort you because I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And if I spit you out of my mouth, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to comfort you. I'm not going to help you because I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And a perfect illustration of being spit or spewed out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, regurgitated, vomited, whatever word you want to use, uh, the one will be left behind. The church that isn't true, the church that's trusting something other than Christ will be left behind when the Lord comes. And we that are Christians will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I'd like to see a great revival any moment. And I believe that there are churches out there that's on fire for God, that's stirred up for God, and they love God. But as a whole, if you look at all the churches around the world, they're like the Church of Philadelphia, a little strength. Now, there's some out there that have a lot, but as a whole, the church around the world, the true church, has little strength. I really believe that their little strength is a product of people uh, not knowing the sound doctrines of Jesus Christ. Our church, our church began to accelerate and grow uh, enormously when I started beginning preaching verse by verse through the Bible. Yes. Uh, when you start learning the Bible, our church started growing incredible, and finances started coming in incredible when we started preaching verse by verse through the Bible. Because, you know, I've wrote a few books, 
And I wouldn't be very happy with you if you only read a sentence here and a sentence there and a sentence here and a sentence there. If you get my book, I'd like for you to read the whole book. If you like it, tell me you like it. If you hate it, keep your mouth shut. But, you know, I, I, I've got some books. I've got some books, and I just tell them, in, uh, concerning the books, I just tell them uh, no refunds and no lawsuits. But anyway, uh, it's important that we understand that every church has got to be on that foundation. Like Jesus Christ said, remember the house? Did you, uh, the house that's built on a foundation, the rock, the words of Jesus, went down deep, built their house on a rock. The words of Jesus spoke with the house on the rock. But those that put together their little house, no matter how attractive it was, without the words of Jesus Christ, they collapsed when the storm came. And they'll be left behind also when the rapture takes place. You know, we've, we've been at, at pains to distinguish that there are not two classes of Christians. There are not like, you know, really good Christians who are going to go in the rapture and, and uh, not quite so good Christians who are going to have to be stayed behind, be left behind. Purged. They would be made purged. better. Yeah, they. That, that's not. That's, that's not what's going to happen. That's Protestant purgatory. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's. There's nowhere in the Bible about that. Jesus Christ is not going to spit out any Christians. Uh, so don't let people make you feel bad about whether you did this or did that or whether you, you know, try some some checklist that they have about whether you're good enough to go into rapture. I know, I know some people who think that they're the only ones that are going by the way they act, you know. <laughs> but the, the, the thing that I want to I say is this. Uh, you know, all my life I keep hearing about carnal Christians as an explanation for why some people are, are sinning and everything and doing all these kinds of things that Jesus would be unhappy with. And you see, whether you're struggling or not, whether you're shipwrecked or not, whether you're in sin or have escaped sin for the time being, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the flesh. We're all subject to like passions. And I know that in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. But you see, it comes down to a matter, as James always says, are you born again? Uh, you either belong to Jesus or you don't. There's no in-between. There, there is no second-class membership in the body of Christ. You either belong to him or don't. Now, you can belong to him and be down on your luck and be running from him just as fast as you can and still belong to him, and we all know that's true. But that's a season. You see, that's why I don't believe in the longevity of carnal Christians, and that's a, that's a classic Christian, because the Holy Ghost will not allow you to live a life separated from Jesus and be happy. He will make you come home. You will feel the lash on your back. You will be driven just like stock up into the trailer. He'll make it to where there's nothing else you can do. He will seek you until he finds you. We don't seek God. We run from God. That's why he has to keep coming after us. And if he's coming after you, that means you belong to him. I hear people wondering all the time about they're afraid they're going to lose their salvation. <laughs> the only person who's worried about losing their salvation is a saved person. Lost people don't think about it. 
They don't know there's anything to be saved from. So if you belong to Jesus, you belong to him now, and you will belong to him when the trumpet sounds. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when Jesus said to Laodicea, I am the amen. And I mentioned a while ago, he, said, he would say verily, verily, or truly, truly. And Jesus basically, when he would say verily, verily, or truly, truly, he said, here comes some absolute truth. And then amen seals that absolute truth. So absolute truth doesn't bring you out of hot water until it is sealed by the absolute Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so once we hear that truth, and it's sealed by the person of Christ, then we have eternal life. Now, I want to mention, and, and uh, once again, Jimmy's being accused of being a Pentecostal. I've been accused of being a Baptist. It's all right. I'll wear but, the pen. But I want you to understand something. I want you to understand something. We've made this being, we've made this going to heaven too much about ourselves. We've made this being an overcomer and, and a great Christian too much about ourselves. Yeah. It's about Jesus Christ. The devil wants you to it's think a, about it's, you. It's about his power. <laughs> uh, and, and we also need to understand that when, when the Lord comes, he's not going to rapture half a church and leave the other half behind because they don't pray enough, because they don't serve God enough. It, you know, I mean, what constitutes you lukewarm? I, I have Pentecostal preachers that they'll rent and rare and say, boy, you're lukewarm if you don't go to church every Sunday. You're lukewarm if you don't read your Bible for an hour every day. You're lukewarm if you don't pray for an hour every day. You're lukewarm if you don't serve God and give 10% and another 5% and another 20% and extra uh, gifts. Listen, I'm not against any of that. Pray for an hour. I pray for more than an hour today. Worship God. Give God. I'm not against any of that. But I'm not lukewarm. I'm not on fire because I do that. And I'm not lukewarm because I don't do that. If you're, if you're lukewarm, it's because you've never, you pretend to be something you're not. Someone has simply said this. There's the, there's the uh, uh, make-believer. Uh, there is the uh, unbeliever. <laughs> and there is the believer. And there are a lot of make-believers. There's a lot of unbelievers out there, but there's a lot of make-believers. And the make-believers are the church of Laodicea. They're going to be left behind. The argument would be in that one verse of Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus Christ, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. And they use that scripture to say, see there, there are Christians in there. Well, there may be a Christian in there, but he's not going to stay in there. Uh, it's kind of like saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to stay here in this this bucket of garbage and slop and, and pretend that I know Christ. No, a real child of God is going to come out of the sewer pipe and stand for God. They may feel inferior. They, may, they mess up. They backslide. They fall apart. But you're not going to be betrayed by Jesus Christ because you betrayed him. That's, just not, that's not the way it works. It may say Jesus it. is not going to betray you because you betrayed him. And Jesus is not going to be unfaithful because you've been unfaithful. That's right. He is faithful even when we're unfaithful. And it's not about how well we perform. It's about how well Jesus performed when we gave our heart to Christ. And Jesus is going to work on us. He's going to deal with us. And some of us won't go, some of us won't go to heaven entirely perfect. In fact, all of us won't go to heaven entirely perfect. 
but we'll be perfect when we arrive. And Jesus Christ is our perfect salvation. See, there's a whole bunch of people who didn't do enough today because most of the churches in southwest Missouri were closed today. And so you got a lot of born-again believers who didn't come to church today. Does that mean they don't get to go to the rapture? That don't make them look warm. That don't make them look warm. That don't make them unsaved. The building's closed. And they didn't have no place to go. I knew some people who lived in town that went, but I know people that lived out in the country that didn't try to go nowhere. That doesn't mean they're lost. <laughs> so quit trying to think, well, you're, 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 you're a Christian because you did certain things, and then now you're not a Christian because you slip and fail. You either are or you're not. Amen. And Christians do slip and fall. But a just man falleth seven times and gets up every time. And so the truth is you'll make a comeback, and you'll do that comeback if you're really a child of God. And I, I, I want to encourage you to, tonight. If you are a born-again child of God, and you're trusting Him, and you've tripped and failed, you've stumbled, you're not where you need to be, don't let some preacher put a bunch of guilt trip on you. Let a preacher tell you like I do and like Jimmy and others, listen, you fell down, get up. Dust uh, you know, the dirt off your kneecaps and serve God. Like today, it's freezing weather. There's a mosquito out there that's, that's overcoming the cold weather to make a great comeback. And you can get through this and make a great comeback. Amen? I'm not, I'm not saying that mosquitoes are Christians. But anyway, far from it. But anyway. Well, sooner or later, like you said, you know, if you're a Christian, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter where you are, just like the prodigal son, sooner or later you get up out of the hog waller and go home. We all do. Unless you've led a very protective life, it's happened to all of us. And if you don't and you die in the hog pen, you still die a son, not a hog. That's right. He never quit being a son. That's interesting. Very interesting. Amen. If that boy, the prodigal son, would have died in the hog pen, he would have died a son, not a pig. And that throws the theory of second-class Christians in the garbage. Right. We're blessed. Yeah, we are. And God, God, he was still a king's kid in the hog pen. That's right. And God still was looking for him to return home. And so that's the difference between the church of Philadelphia and Laodicea. I believe there's churches out there everywhere that's trusting in their works or trusting in their ability, and they're, they're lukewarm. They're, they think they're right because they've got a little fire. A little fire don't get it. You've got to have the fire of Jesus Christ. And I'm not telling you. There, there are those that tell you you've got to talk in tongues for an hour before you can go to heaven. There are people that teach that. There are people that teach that you can't wear uh, short sleeve shirts. You've got to wear long sleeve shirts. Well, I have the right to bear arms myself. Yes. But, but, you know, uh, everybody wants to look at you and scrutinize you and try to decide whether you're a Christian or not. Hold on, hold on. Who's the inspector here? Not you. We inspect fruit so that we don't eat nasty fruit. We, we inspect fruit so we don't put good fruit, uh, bad fruit with our good fruit and spoil the whole bunch. But we, don't, we do inspect fruit. We do judge 
in the fruit of a person, but we're not there to condemn or pass judgment on someone and condemn them to hell. We judge rightly to keep ourselves clean and healthy and holy. But, um, well, I wrote this little phrase in my book. It says, Don't, do not proofread me unless it's for a glorious publication. Yeah. Just don't proofread me unless it's for a glorious publication. A lot of people out there trying to proofread people's lives. Well, he can't be a Christian. Look what he done. She can't be a Christian. Look what she done. Well, first of all, you're, who is he that condemns another man's servant? It is by the death of Jesus in which we stand. Right? Yeah, before his own master he standeth. I pretty much wrapped up what I want to say. You want to bring well, I always got something else to say, but that was my main point. There are no second-class citizens of heaven. You either belong to Jesus or you don't. And, you know, if there's any question, it only takes a minute to make sure, you know. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about these things. You concentrate and on not going to heaven alone. You know, tell your family, tell your friends. Go with a, go with a glory train. Pull them behind you. Snatch them out of the fire. Do whatever you got to do. If they think you're a pest, so what? They don't like you anyway. Just go ahead and go for broke. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jo uh, Joshua's got a mic. If anybody has a question or comment, we'll wrap this up tonight. If you have, have a comment or question, raise your hand, and we'll, we'll uh, deal with that. Chuck's got a question. I'm going to let you take care of that, Jimmy. Well, I'm sure I. I'm sure. I don't I, know what his question. You don't know is, what the yeah. question is, but you're laying it on me. I, I just wanted to say that a mosquito left my arm last summer, and it sang. There's power in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Next, ne next time we'll discuss whether whether bugs have souls. <laughs> If they do, I squish them out. <laughs> I was going to say that there are billions that claim to be Christian, and they, but they put their faith in what they can do to go to heaven or in Jesus and something else that they can do. For example, baptism, not just totally in what Jesus did, but what maybe what he did and what I can also do. And that's scary and sobering. So are they, they are not, in my, my thoughts, they're not born again because they're saving themselves. And when I saw G, when Jesus walked the earth, the only people that he got aggravated with and rebuked and condemned were the self-righteous. And is it not true that if you're, if you can be good enough to get to heaven on what you did, you are, you're, you are trusting in your own self-righteousness. Right. So how many billions are doing that, and they're not born again? Is that true? That's true. And, and I, I, would, I would just say this. Uh, what was your name? Jody. Jody. I would just say this, Jody, that uh, it grieves me to agree with you, but I do. And I have a... I have a little equation that I use uh, in evangelism, and that is, uh, I call it Jesus plus. You see, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
You either trust Christ and Christ alone or you cannot be saved. I think that's true. He's, he's, either, he's either my Lord and my God, or he's, you know, and if he's your Lord and your God, you don't have to help him save you. That's right. And so the folks, that are, the folks that are doing that, which is, I would say, half, are they considered evangelicals? Half the church, half of the, the, the Reformed church believes that doctrine. There are evangelicals that believe that. And so they're not, they're not being, they're not being. They call them away. Armenians. They're not being caught away. Because they're not, they're trusting their own self-righteousness, so they're not qualified. Well, they're not they're saved. Not born again. They're, they're not, not saved. born again. So the church of Laodicea, that would be a really good, accurate description of these people. That's true. And I think that's right. why James chose to, to do this topic tonight, is to draw a distinction about the right. saved and the unsaved, the lost and the, and the, and the, and the, and the born again. The folks that are trusting in themselves, they might as well not even believe in God. Well, the... The scripture tells us that, that, that many are called, but few are chosen. It says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that, that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Few, a few, a comparative few. Now, do I like the odds? No. Uh, I get I get hit all the time, especially by by uh, 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 intellectuals and college people, and they will say, "Well, why doesn't God just save everyone?" The miracle to me is that He saves anyone. Why yeah. should He? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So the church, the bride of Christ, and the Scripture, the bride has made herself ready. Um, the bride's garment is without spot or wrinkle. And I, that spot or wrinkle thing, I've always wondered about that. We know the blood washes away and makes us white as snow. But I got to thinking about my garments get wrinkled when I'm sitting. I can have a nice pressed garment on and I get in the car and drive and it's wrinkled when I get there. What is it about the wrinkle? It's without spot or wrinkle. Does that mean we need not to be idle? We need to be working and doing. We know it's not works that get us there, but he says occupy till I come. Occupy. And the bride has made herself ready. So we've got to be busy doing something, knowing that it's him, not anything we do. So can you elaborate on the uh, spot and wrinkle thing and making ourselves ready? I believe the term is without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Okay, there's three. There's three. Blemish would be a product of poor health, um, wrong things in your system, making a blemish. Uh, spots is sloppy eating, carelessness. Spots come about by carelessness especially if you're eating a hot dog with lots of mustard. Wrinkles, like come, about, wrinkles come about by sitting too long. And I, an old man, he wasn't old then. <laughs> I was very young. He, say he, was, he was coaching me in this, and he said that the wrinkle is, meant, is to indicate a lazy Christian, a lazy person. It, uh, the wrinkles 
would indicate sloth. I don't know if that's true, but I always thought it was interesting. Well, the truth is, if the rapture took place right now, there's not a one of us in here that's without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. I mean... What's that scripture that says everyone that has this hope in them purifies themselves? I think that might go along with this. Because Christ is living in you, you do have a desire to do better, to improve, to stay clean, to stay pure. And so that's part of the Holy Spirit living in you and the sanctification that he's doing every day is to iron out the spots and the wrinkles, to purify, to clean you because you have the hope of that eternal glory someday. It's 1 John chapter 3. I knew it was in 1 John, but I That's never a good point. Numbers. And you need to understand that if our bodies are going to be transformed at the rapture, we're also going to be conformed into his image. And so we haven't always arrived there, but we will. Uh, I, because when he appears, we shall be like him. That's what James just, just quoted here is in, is in John, 1 John chapter 3, if you want to read it later. But that's what he says. You got this hope in you. He says, we, it does not yet appear what she will be, but we'll be like him. So the phrase out of that scripture, read it. The phrase it, out of that scripture is it, not yet. It said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God and daughters. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It goes back to Leviticus, be ye holy, for and, I am holy. And the key in that verse is not yet. I'm not yet, but I will be. I know that when he appears, I'll be like him. Not yet, because the Christian is a work in progress. And we need to understand that that work is the Lord Jesus Christ. And John obviously wrote this before he wrote Revelation, because after he wrote Revelation, he had seen him. (laughs) Though the way he is now. He has seen him the way he is now. Well, it may, it may shock you, but I believe that the book of Revelation uh, wasn't the last book that John wrote. I believe John, the Gospel the of John, gospel was the of last John. book he wrote. I believe, I believe that, that, too. That's like his, uh, his valedictory. Yeah. It, in, the, in the Gospel of John, it's almost like John is saying, okay, this is everything I know about Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. and goes to town. Jack, was you saying something there? He looks at the heart of man. What's in that heart? And if you have Christ in there, you've already been made perfect through Christ Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he looks at the heart. He he doesn't look at the flesh part of us because he knows the flesh is going to fail. Just like he told me, he said, and I told him, I said, I'm tired of fighting it. I can't make it. He said, well, it's time you give up and let me do it. Because as long as you do it, you're going to fail. So we have to let Christ do it in us. Right. And of course, you ask the question, well, what about people doing the bad thing over and over again? You know, going spending time with prostitutes or, and they're supposed to be Christian or going involved in drugs and they're supposed to be Christian. And, and maybe they are Christian. So well, what's God going to do about it? Maybe you'll kill them. That's happened. Maybe you'll kill them. Are they going to go to hell when he kills them? No. But they're going to be mighty ashamed when they stand before God. 
I, I really believe that there are drunkards sometimes God takes out because that is their deliverance from their alcohol. You know, many of you have heard my testimony, but I, I know that on, at, uh, at 5 a.m. on February 6, 1997, God told me, and says, look, I'm tired of you embarrassing me. You're either going to get on board or you're going home. This is the end of it. You done ripped your britches with me. And uh, he made it absolutely that clear happen, to me. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I, that's when I put the cork in the jug. And it was tough, but I didn't want to face the punishment that God had in store for me. I'm glad you put the cork in the jug. Thank God. I wouldn't be here because <laughs> he would have taken me home. I'd be long gone. And he's kept you around all this time. Yes. Look at you all beat up and, yes. and old. And he kept me around. <laughs> all beat up and old. I'm all beat up and old. It's not the, it's not the years. It's, it's not the model. It's the mileage. Right, Charlie? <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting, it's really hard for me to get used to the fact that I'm old now. It really bothers me. Like I was looking on Facebook when someone that talks about Judy and I, our anniversary, and someone made mention, well, he doesn't look too bad. Like, you know, he's old, but he don't look too bad to, for, for being an old man. Well, they don't know how I feel sometimes. But anyway, got a good God. I'm glad you're well, all I, beat up and still working. Well, I'm catching up with you, James. If you just, just not have a birthday for a year, I'll get even with you. <laughs> all right, we got to be dismissed, but it's good. Uh, is there any other question before we stop? Chuck? I was just uh, wondering, I know what you guys were saying about the Church of Laodicea, and I know that John, when he, he wrote uh, what Jesus had said, he'd mentioned uh, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So Laodicea is considered a, a part of the church here. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So we, we find that, that John writes on the Isle of Patmos that he validates, Jesus validates, that they were a church. And like you mentioned in Colossae about the letters being written, we know that he called, wrote, you know, Paul called them a church. You know, read the letters to Laodicea and also let the letters uh, be read in Colossae, you know, switch back and forth. And my, my thought is, is Jesus here to the Laodicean church is that a call to repentance, a call to the come back to that place in the church that was established because he's saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. He's saying, I, I counsel you to buy of me because now you're saying you started as a church but now you're saying you're beyond that method. You know, you're saying your wealth and everything that you've gotten and all that you say you have, it ain't real. And how much more today in the world and even in the United States are the churches saying what they don't have? They're not saying what is real. They're not testifying 
to the truth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so God is trying to call them back into the fold. You know, call them to repentance so that they don't get spewed out of the mouth. So that they don't get discarded away. Because the love of God is trying to draw. And he's chastening. And, he, and he's trying to correct. And, and he's saying, come, I'm chasing you now. I'm giving it to you hard. But if you repent and you come to me, if you open the door and you come to me, if, if you buy the, the, that which is tried in the fire of my gold, then you're going to be rich. Because you're going to be rich in the spirit and in the power of God that we established in the beginning. All right, you need to look at this two ways. There may have been Christians in the beginning that vacated because they were not solid in the doctrine of Christ and they came out from among them. You also have to understand that repentance isn't just for the Christian. It begins first with the lost person that's never been saved. So uh, the person that's never been saved is told to repent as well. Repentance doesn't mean you had it and you come back. Repentance is also for the lost person that never had it in the beginning. Uh, so you need, you, need, you need to be careful that there's not works involved. There may have been true Christians in Laodicea, but at this juncture... There was none in there. They had vacated the building, so to speak. They had left because there was no one there. If there was anyone there, Jesus had been sitting beside him in the chair. He was at the door outside the church knocking to get in. So no one was in there with him or he wouldn't be on the outside knocking to get in. So somewhere along the line, the church may have began as a bona fide church, but somewhere along the line, the true believer got out of there, went his way, and they fell into the doctrine of works and so forth. So, and I'd like to bolster what James said by, by timeline. Uh, we have roughly 30 years between the time Paul wrote his letter to, to Laodicea that was carried back by Epaphras and, uh, and Onesimus. And from the, about 30 years between that time and the time that Jesus was dictating the letters on Patmos for, to the seven churches to John. So, you know, 30 years pass, you, you know, a lot can change in a church in 30 years. Well, and, and Chuck, what and you brought out. people come and go. Chuck, what you brought out is an incredible statement, but we've got to withdraw from the fact that if you're a Christian that's backslid, you're lukewarm because you're, you're falling into works. You can't fall into works. You either are or you're not a Christian. And uh, the problem with lukewarm and the problem with works and all that is you, you, you say you're a Christian and you lost it. Uh, or you say that you, you, you know, I believed on Christ, but somewhere along I fell. The truth is you either had him or you didn't. Christ doesn't have butterfingers. He doesn't drop us. And so, you know, it's important that we distinguish between whether there's works here or whether there is a fact that Jesus was outside the door. He was not in that church. He did offer anyone in that church to come to the door and open it up, but there was no one, as far as we can tell, there was no one ever go to the door. We see no evidence that anyone went to the door. 
and open the door. May have, may not, I don't know. So, you know, what you said is incredible truths, but we have to be really careful that we don't get a hair in our soup. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're careful. And so that's important. I hate hair in soup. It's awful. It ruins my whole soup. I, I, I shared this once before, and we're running out of time. I don't want to, I don't want to, I know it's warm in here, and you don't want to go home, but, but, but I, I want to share this again. You've heard it before in Matthew 25, the 10 virgins, the 10 virgins. The 10 virgins are Christendom. Five are wise, five are foolish. The kingdom of heaven has... Lost people, saved people. The kingdom of heaven has the plan. The kingdom of heaven has bad, wheat, tares, wheat. The kingdom of heaven has the whole plan of God. The kingdom of God is within man. That's the born-again Christian. A born-again Christian is in the kingdom of God. But a lost person can also be in the plan of the kingdom of heaven. The five foolish virgins were not saved. They wanted to be saved, but they felt like they were okay. They, they were careless in their pursuit of the bridegroom. When Jesus came and caught the five away, the bridegroom took the five away. Remember, they said when Jesus was coming, the five fully said, Hey, give us of your oil. Our lamps have gone out. And the wife said, Not so. Let's not be enough for us and go buy for yourself. Well, while the foolish, and this is in Matthew 25, while the foolish went to buy, the bridegroom took the five wise. The five wise were people that were not, they were on the verge of getting, really becoming the bride of Christ. They were on the verge, but they were not there yet. The Bible does not say, remember when they returned, Knock, knock, open unto us, said, I don't know you. That doesn't mean nowhere in that Matthew 25 does it say that those five foolish virgins went to hell. Nowhere. They wouldn't have came back to the door <laughs> if they didn't have oil. So they went and got oil, came back to the door, knocked on the door, and Jesus Christ said, I don't know you. Does that mean he didn't know him as in don't know them. No, it means I don't know you as my bride. They went and got the oil. They came back to the door. There's no indication they didn't get the oil. And I believe that that, are, that is people on the verge of coming to Christ that missed the rapture. I believe those That's are right. people on the verge of reaching out to Christ. They missed the rapture. They're not Christians. They're not saved. They will be great tribulation saints. They will be saved. Yes. And there'll be a great revival across the land through those foolish virgins when they come and get the oil. And they will be saved, but they won't be part of the church. They'll be part of the great tribulation saints. And the oil in their lamps represents the Holy Ghost inside the believer. Yeah. So that's the, that's the, mark, that's, that's the demarcation point. So the great tribulation saints, what if that person had already passed 
and has passed away before the, the rapture, do they still have the chance of being a great tribulation saint or is their race run? No. If you die without Christ, you're done. Uh, if you're not born again, you're done. And that's really hard to take. It's, it's bitter medicine. But the truth is, if someone dies without Christ, they're done. There's no, there's no purgatory. There's no second chance. Your chances are now. It's not after you die. And that's a good, good question, Charlie. And it's, it's a sobering question. I appreciate you asking that. It's tough. Because we all have friends, we all have family who we know are not saved. And we can paint it up and, and doctor it up however we want to, but we know that they're lost. And, and many of us grieve and pray over it constantly. Right. All right, we're going to be dismissed. I know you don't want to go home. It's warm. It's nice. <laughs> oh, you don't want to start the car. Some of you probably got that Doomer Witcher, and you're starting it right now. Yeah, so, I, what do you mean I'm starting it right now? It's been running for a half an hour. You ain't quit. Yeah. All right. Charlie, that is a good question. But, you know, the, the, the sad, sober thing is if a person doesn't make those decisions while they're living, they got to live with those things, and it's, it's rough. But God is a just God, and he's not going to treat those people the same as he would Hitler or someone right. else. You know, he's, he's a just God. He's an awesome God. And it, it makes us want to be more mindful. James mentioned it this morning, the Great Commission. You know, go ye and preach the gospel unto all nations. Well, I have no scriptural basis for this, and you can go off and and cry heretic and and bad person preacher said the last thing he should never said. Um, I'm not saying we need to baptize the dead like the Mormons do. They baptize the dead. So if you got a loved one, they baptize that one in their name and then they put them in their archives. I'm not saying you. Baptize Somebody's been the dead. baptized for me several times. I know it. I really? Got, I got Mormon relatives southwest. They got you covered, huh? They've, they've carried my name to the temple, and somebody has been dunked for me. Now, <laughs> you may not agree with me, and I, that's okay. I pray a lot, and I know God can do anything. Right. I know God is not subject to any rules. He is the rule giver. I know there's nothing God cannot do. I know there's, God is a God of miracles. God can do anything. He says... He holds the scepter. He can stop the universe. He can do anything he wants. And there are times I pray for my dead loved ones. I don't pray to, you know, I, I pray for them. I don't know if it does any good, but it does me some good. And I pray for my dead loved ones. I do. I'm not praying to them. I'm praying for them. And uh, it releases something in me that makes me feel better knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm doing something in the process. It may not do a lick of good, but I do pray for those, my dead loved ones that went on. And I pray not only for the lost ones that's died, I pray for my loved ones that have died that I, that I know are Christians. Don't pray to them, but do pray for them. And if it's nothing but therapy for me, it's good therapy for me. You can do what you want with that. 
I know that when a person dies without Christ, it's pretty, it's settled. I understand that. But uh, it's important that we can not lose sight of a God that can do anything. We need to see that. Amen? Amen. What do you think, Jimmy? Well, Luke tells us plainly in chapter 12 that, that there are degrees of punishment in hell just the same as that there are degrees of reward in heaven and that we won't all be treated all the same. Sure. So. And by we, I mean the human race. Sure. All right. That means get everybody saved now. Get them ready. On the all glory right. train. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Is there anybody that needs us to pray for them? Uh, any special prayer? Anybody need us to pray that you can get warmer? Hmm. Or maybe you can get cooler? You need to see Charlie. He'll hook you up with a car that has auto start. We're not, we're not picking up key starts for the, for the homeless and the poor today. Chuck, take your mosquito and go home. Anyway, well, I love you, Jack. You're a, you're a blessing. Amen. All right. Anybody else? A prayer? All right, listen, I'm going to ask Brother Jimmy to dismiss us in prayer. We're glad you came. Hope you enjoyed it. Yes. It's a beautiful lesson. And uh, let's get out there and let people know that Jesus still saves. Amen.